Hey, Happy New Year, FCF. Um, wonder how many of you maybe made some resolutions. Here's what I know about resolutions. Most of us will not keep them. But those of us that do, it's likely because we found someone as an example, as a role model that is going to interact with us and train us to achieve whatever that resolution is. There's, there's something that humanity knows by consensus that interactive training tends to produce beneficial transformation. When we have an example that we can watch and that's going to interact with us and train us, that that tends to bring actual transformation. We achieve the goal. So it's as though humanity has had this sign, this want ad throughout every generation, wanted example. We, we know there's consensus that we do better with an example, particularly if that example will interactively train us. That's what tends to bring lasting transformation. So we want to look at this subject today, example wanted. And I want to take you to John's Gospel, chapter 14. But before I go there, I want to, I want to show you a typical profile of what is considered to be in, in the ideal traits of a role model or an example. You can find these things anywhere. They're all pretty much alike. Here's top five qualities of a good role model or a good example. Quality number one, passion and ability to inspire. Uh, trait number two, commitment to community. Trait number three, selflessness and acceptance of others. Number four, ability to overcome obstacles. Number five, clear set of values. Now again, you, you can find these traits of good examples, good role models almost anywhere. And here's the interesting thing. These are not put together by people that are necessarily Christ followers. They are put together by people who in many cases do not believe in God at all. And yet they all have a similar picture of what makes a good example or a good role model. We'll revisit that. It's kind of an interesting thing. So where I'd like to take us on our journey now, before we go to John 14, is we're just going to look at this, this topic, example wanted, from two sides. We want, to, we want to see what goes on in finding the example, and then we want to spend the rest of our time in how does transformation occur when we are actually following the example. I want to try to unpack that for you and show you that, it, that it's an organic, natural process once we are interacting uh, with the appropriate example. So let's go to John 14, and as you go there, I'm going to start out by reading verse 6, and then I'm going to do a little backtracking. John 14, 6, in fact, um, I know it by heart, so I'm just, before I even read it, I'm just going to tell you what it says. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And notice that he, he emphasizes, I am the way. There's not many ways to the Father. He says, I am the way the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Those are exclusive claims. Jesus is saying, I am the example of examples. Well, whatever other examples there are, I am the example for the whole universe. I am the only way to the Father. I'm the only way you can know God. I'm the only way you can come to God. If you don't find God in me, if you don't come to trust God through trusting me, you cannot get to God in any other way. Now, he's going to unpack this further with these disciples as this conversation goes on. But now I want to give you a little context to John 14. When you and I come to John 14, 
you have to understand it's the last evening that Jesus is with his disciples. He is literally hours away from going to the cross. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, they all happen the same evening. The chapter divisions were added to the Bible much later. They are not inspired. So if we would have been reading an ancient manuscript, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 would have all been together because it all happened the same evening and it was a turbulent evening. Let me just tell you some, some key facets of it. The disciples, the last night that Jesus is with them, they're arguing amongst themselves which one of them will be the chief leader, which one of them is the greatest. Jesus has to correct them and he corrects them by word and then he corrects them by example. He gets down and he washes their dusty, dirty feet. It was something that was a, a sign of courtesy to house guests. None of them would do it, so Jesus humbled himself and did it. So here's the power of his example in training them, interactively training them for lifelong transformation. The evening goes on, and Jesus explains to them that this is it. He's told them already three different times in his ministry through the three and a half years that he is going to be crucified, that he's going to be rejected by the leaders, but that he'll rise again the third day. He now tells them again because it's going to happen in hours. They can't accept it. They think it's some spiritual teaching and that it's not physically going to happen. He then goes on and he institutes what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. It was the Last Supper. And he uh, tells them, he says, one of you is going to betray me. Well, now their minds are just reeling. How could this be? They've been together for three and a half years. They've been loyal to Jesus. They've been with him day and night. But he says, one of you is going to betray me. Now, of course, Jesus knew it was Judas all along. He doesn't disclose to the rest of them who the betrayer is. He then institutes the Lord's Supper, like I said. So he explains to them, this bread symbolizes my body that's about to be broken for you, meaning what happened uh, on the cross and leading to the cross. This juice represents my blood that's going to be spilled for you, my sacrificial affection for you. So he's explaining all that. He serves the elements and then he sends Judas off quietly. He doesn't expose Judas because he knew the disciples would probably beat him up pretty badly if they knew he was the traitor. But then Jesus switches the conversation to them and he says, you know, not only is one of you going to betray me, he says, but, but all of you guys are going to desert me tonight. And they're like, no, no, the, the, no way. We'd never desert you, Lord, never. And then Peter speaks up at Rome and says, listen, even if they desert you, I'll go to the death with you. Now, I want to pick up in chapter 13, verse 38, and then notice the connection to chapter 14, verse 1. It's very powerful if you see it. So here's Jesus answering Peter, chapter 13, um, verse 38. He says, Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So he says, Peter, you're, you're going to deny you even knew me three times before the morning light. Listen to Jesus' very next word. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe or you trust in God. Trust also in me. Feel this thing. Jesus just told him, look, I know you guys are all going to abandon me. And you, Peter, <laughs> far from being the key leader that you want to be, you're going to deny that you even knew me three times. But he says, guys, don't let your heart be troubled. I know you. I love you. I'm for you. I, I know you're not perfect men. Don't let your heart be troubled. You trust in God. Trust also in me. He's saying the way you trust in God, trust in me. So here's where it starts to open up. Let me read on. He says, my father's house has many rooms. 
If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. He's already told them he's going to go to the cross and die. That's the way to the Father's house. They knew this as Old Testament, uh, you know, Jew Jewish people all knew that the way we enter into the Father's dimension is through death. So Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Now look at how confused they were. Next verse, Thomas speaks up. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus then answers, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now Philip speaks up. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And I'll just pause right there. Jesus is once again, this is not the first time, folks. This is the umpteenth time he's declared to them in one way or another that, that he is God. He is the creator, that he and the Father are one. To see Jesus is to see the Father in a way that humanity has never been able to see the Father before. is is the way angels had never seen Him before. The Scripture says in the New Testament that all the fullness of God is now disclosed, it's now revealed in the humanity of Jesus. Um, the tenderness, the mercy, the forgiveness, and so many other traits of God that were kind of known were now expressed so powerfully in the life of Jesus. So Jesus is saying, though, for them and for us today, I'm the example. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the way. Without Jesus, there is no going. Without the way, there's no going. Without the truth, there's no knowing. Without the life, there's no living. Jesus is saying, forget all that you have learned through Judaism through the centuries. It was just leading up to me. I am now the fulfillment because these men are going to have to make a break with Judaism because now the, the center of worship is around Jesus. Those that worship in spirit and truth worship through Jesus because He is the revelation of the fullness of God or the Father. So, finding the example. There, there, there's three parts of this process I want to break down a little bit for you. First of all, there's the search. We are ever, as human beings, looking for an example. We are looking for an example because we know that interactive training tends to, be, tends to bring beneficial transformation to us. It brings out the best in us if the example is good. Where does this search come from? Where, where do we seem to have this instinct? What, what might be lying behind it? There's a great verse in Acts 17:27 where God sort of pulls back the curtain and shows us what's behind this propensity we have to search for the example, the example of examples. In Acts 17, 27, it says, God made the nations, Manya, borders, nations, linguistic divisions, all these things. God made the nations, the divisions among us, so they would seek Him. God knew that it was advantageous for us not to be one like at the Tower of Babel, not speaking the same language, not all one nation, but many nations, we're more likely to seek Him. He says, God made the nations so that we would seek Him, perhaps even reach out to Him and find Him. In fact, God isn't far from any of us. 
we know that the better the example, the better the role model, the more likely our interaction with them is to bring the best out in us. Well, what if we're really looking for the ultimate role model, the best role model? Would not the best role model bring out the best in us? And God says, it's really Him. It's really Him people are searching for. It's so interesting to me that secular organizations and secular educational systems are always emphasizing the need for good role models, good examples. But we stop short of ever pointing where it leads. It leads to the best, the greatest role model. And therefore, we cheat ourselves. I just want to add something. Let me read you that, that little list again. Typical qualities of a good role model. Passion and ability to inspire. Co commitment to community. Selfless acceptance of others. Ability to overcome obstacles. Clear set of values. You're going to have to think about what I'm about to say to understand it. All of those traits could have been said about Adolf Hitler. He had very clear set of values. They were just the wrong values. He overcame obstacles to see that the Third Reich would come into existence. Selflessness and acceptance of others. Oh, he was very selfless when it came to uh, the Aryan supreme race that he wanted to develop. Commitment to community. Oh, he was very committed to the community of the super race, the master race. What about passion and ability to inspire? He inspired a whole nation and put a passion in them that was straight from the pit of hell. So when we take God, the, the example, when we take Christ, the example, and we just put together a list of traits, we're, we're not on, on real solid ground there. So the search consists of a move of God's Spirit in the hearts of us all if we would let it take us where it means to go. And then God has given to us spiritual sensors. God has placed in human beings, this is so cool, God has placed in human beings a spiritual recognition system. We're so familiar today with voice recognition systems and even facial recognition systems. Well, God has built into human beings a spiritual recognition system. In other words, we have these capacities to detect God and good. It's built into us. Listen to this verse that makes it very clear from the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, invisible, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, invisible qualities clearly seen, being understood, there's the faculty that allows us to see the invisible qualities, being understood from what has been made. What this verse is teaching, and it's beautiful, is this, first of all, there's no such thing as a, as a sincere atheist. Atheism is a choice. It's not based on de deduction. It says that God has given us mind, reason. He has given us imagination. He has given us conscience. Those spiritual faculties put together are a spiritual recognition system so that we recognize the ultimate example. That's why Jesus is saying to these guys, He said, if you've seen me, you've seen God in His fullness. You've seen the Father already. We recognize good. Why do we always have good traits on those uh, qualities of good role models? You, you notice you never find on those lists things like, I want my role model to be selfish and cruel and brutal and dishonest and lazy and apathetic. I want my role model to be a quitter. No, 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 no. You never find those things because we have a spiritual recognition system and we know good. We may not know it perfectly, but we know good. And when we see good in its perfect form in God revealed in Christ, we recognize it. Now, that brings you to the next step in this process, though, selection. Just because we recognize pure good as it's revealed in Christ, 
God in Christ, it doesn't mean that we will select the best example or the best role model. Listen to what it says in John 3.19. It says, and this is condemnation that the light, it's talking about Jesus. He said, I am the light of the world, John 8.12. Uh, he who follows me will never walk in darkness. It says, this is condemnation that the light has come or is come into the world and men loved darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. So even though we have this spiritual recognition, recognition system, it doesn't mean that when it comes time to select the example, we will select the example of examples, who is God himself as revealed in Jesus. Here's, here's great evidence for that, Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was with Jesus for three and a half years. He took in all of his teaching, he saw all of his miracles, and yet he rejected Jesus, betrayed Jesus. It shows that he loved the darkness more than the light. And so we still have this terrible capacity to reject. So as we're seeking and we're finding the example, we search and the search is instigated by God Himself. We have been given a spiritual recognition system, but we ultimately make the choice. We have the choice of selection. So that's finding the example. Now I want to spend the rest of the time talking about why is it transformational or how is it transformational when we actually follow the example of examples? How does this transformation work? So let's break this down a little bit. Now, now there's three steps here, but I want to explain to you that the three steps all are, are organic. In other words, the first step creates the second step, which creates the third step. They, they are like a three-legged stool. They, they can't exactly be separated. So following this example, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. He said, trust in me the way you trust in God. Let's look at what this means. Following the example, it first of all means having, and this is where it has to start, folks, having the mind of Christ, having the perspective of Christ, the eternal perspective of Christ, seeing things the way Jesus saw things, which creates Jesus' value system in us. What, what he sees as important becomes important to us, but it has to start with Jesus' worldview, his outlook, his perspective. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 2.16. As the scripture says, who knows the mind of the Lord? Who is able to give him advice? We, however, have the mind of Christ. It says that now, through the New Testament Scriptures, through the revelation of God in Jesus, we have the mind of God, the mind of Christ revealed to us. I want you to think about these men that lived with Jesus for three and a half years. They were ordinary men, these apostles, rough, tough fishermen. Some of them were, were uh, political you know, uh, instigators and troublemakers and all kinds of things. Far from perfect. But after three and a half years of just being with Jesus, experiencing His interaction with them, His example interacting with them, training them, it became transformational. Listen, Jesus didn't set up a scholastic environment for these guys. The Pharisees of that day, they spent hours and hours in a scholastic environment memorizing, memorizing Scripture. Listen, a lot of the Pharisees in Jesus' day, believe it or not, they had the entire Old Testament memorized, memorized the Old Testament. Imagine that. And yet, and yet, when God appeared in Jesus, they didn't even like Him. Think about this. Their minds were saturated with God's Word, but they didn't really have God's mind. These men, these men for three and a half years, 
they heard the voice tone of God in Jesus. They didn't just hear Jesus' words, they heard the tone. They, they looked into the eyes of Jesus hundreds of times, thousands of times. They, they didn't just see God's or hear God's words or read God's words. They saw the look in those eyes of Jesus filled with compassion, filled with love. They saw his facial expressions. They saw his body language. You say, but Randy, we can't do that today. We can't hear the tone of his voice. We can't see his eyes. We can't see his facial expressions or his body language. Yes, we can. If you read John 14 toward the end and John 15 and John 16, Jesus teaches these men on the last night that now the Holy Spirit is going to continue to bring Jesus and reveal Jesus to his followers. The Spirit of God, trust me about what I'm about to say now, you read God's Word, and then you seek God after you read the Word, and God will give you an impression of your, on your spirit of the feelings of Jesus behind the Word. We, we have to learn to do something. We have to learn to, to say, of course, what does Scripture say? What's the correct interpretation? But then we need to learn to humbly get with God and say, Father, why, why did you say that? What, what's your feeling on that? What was your reason for that? I, I'm teachable. I know it's good. I know it's loving. But can you make it clear to me when we ask the why question, the eyes of Jesus, the voice tone of Jesus, the, the facial expressions, the body language, the Spirit of Jesus will interact with our spirit through the Holy Spirit and just like these men experienced the mind of God, they, they knew how Jesus thought, they knew how Jesus felt, they experienced it, so can we. And that is transformational. Interaction with the example of examples. Training with the examples. Training with and by the example of examples brings lasting beneficial transformation. So they had the mind of Christ and so can we today. Now the mind of Christ leads to the next stage that is transformational when we follow the example of Jesus and that's we, we take on the morals of Jesus. Jesus' morals came out of his mind. In other words, his love for good, his love for righteousness, his love for people, his sacrificial love for those he created, it came out of his perfect knowledge. He saw that evil was always destructive. It was always a disintegrative force. He saw that goodness was always beneficial. It edified, it built, it brought the best out. His morals were intelligent. They, they were thought out. Folks, there's a danger and just robotically approaching God's Word. I have seen people do this. They just robotically, and they think that it's magical. You just memorize it. You just recite it. You just do what it says without thinking and letting the Spirit of God interact with your spirit. And that's dangerous because that's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were full of the Word of God. They were full of, of robotic ability to parrot back Scripture. But they didn't take time to let God's Spirit interpret and inspire them with the Spirit of God behind the Word. They had the letter of the law, but they didn't have the Spirit of the law. So, the mind of Christ produces the morals of Christ. Let me read you just a short verse from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. It says, But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Holiness is God's perfect sacrificial love 
and perfect wisdom combined together, always doing the right thing, the best thing, the blessed thing. And he calls us to be the same kind of people, to have his mind, to have Jesus' eternal perspective, to value life. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We are living in a day and age where there's an awful lot of emphasis on collect, uh, on humanity as a collective bunch of people, collectivism. The scripture is about individualism. God values individuals. And it is a false kind of a love that is being perpetrated upon us today to think that for the sake of the collective, you sacrifice individuals. That is not biblical. That is not the heart of God. Jesus ever eternally cares sacrificially for the individual. And when we embrace his mind, we will have the same kind of morals. And we will never do anything hurtful because we know that human beings are precious and valuable. And so our morals, they don't just come out of being some wooden thing that we learn by rote. They come out of our heart. They come out of our spirit interacting with God's spirit. We, we recognize that sin in all of its forms, whether we recognize it immediately or not, it's always hurtful to us and it's hurtful to others. And therefore, we treat it like poison, as did Jesus. So first of all, when we follow his example, we have the mind, we have the mind of Christ, then we have the morals of Christ, and that naturally leads to the next part, the mission of Christ. Listen to this verse from Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus speaking, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. How can it be otherwise? Uh, if we have the mind of Christ, and, and that means the love and the passion of Christ, will we not be urgently ready to rescue those who might be rescuable? Jesus' mission was to seek and to save those who were lost. He knew that some human beings could be brought back into a trusting relationship with God. And he knew that the effort, the sacrifice necessary to, to rescue the rescuable was a worthy thing. He could not help but to do it. Listen, folks, it's as simple as this. If you were a lifeguard at a pool, what's your number one thing to do? It's to guard life. So you could be up there reading your Bible up on your chair, and you could be reciting you know, verses of Scripture, but if you're not guarding the life of the people in the pool, you're not good. You're not a good lifeguard. The mission, we are a people that God has called and equipped to live the way Jesus, our example, lived. And he lived a life of mission. He ever sought to communicate to people to try to the best that he could to tell them the truth about God and the truth about life and to draw them back to God. You and I have endless opportunities in our circles of influence to invest in people and to listen to them and to pray for them and to serve them and to invite them, invite them to church, invite them to Bible studies, share our experiences with Christ with them. We can tell them the truth about God. We can be on mission all the time. And so is the natural, natural transformation that happens when Jesus is our example. We're going to have the mind of Christ. We're going to have the, the morals of Christ. And we're going to have the mission of Christ. It is this interaction with our example, the example of examples, training us, training with Jesus, training by Jesus, that brings lasting, authentic transformation. And when I say authentic transformation, I don't mean just exterior. I mean from the inside out. And I'm going to show you the difference. Now, I'm going to close now with giving you uh, a very clear picture of what actually happens inside of those 
that find the example that we all want and that follow the example we all want and how this transformation, authentic transformation, actually occurs. Here's the steps. Number one, there has to be observation. We, we have to see the example. We, we Christians tend to be too eager sometimes, and we're, we're telling people how to get to heaven before they even know who Christ is. You can't do that. <laughs> they have to know who Christ is before they can trust in Him. Okay, so there's observation. Then there's consideration. Once we know about Christ, know His persona, then it's consideration. Is this somebody that I'm attracted to or somebody that I'm going to reject? Judas rejected Jesus even after three and a half years of intimate interaction with him. So there's observation, then there's consideration. Do I want this example or I don't want this example? If we are attracted to Jesus, that leads to the third step, which is admiration. I, I admire him. I like the way he thinks. I like the way he feels. I like what he says. I like what he does. I, I authentically, I can't help it, I just admire him. That leads to a, a ratcheting up of spiritual energy from, energy from observation to consideration to admiration. That leads to aspiration. Now, I'm admiring Jesus so much, I want to be like him. I want to be like, I want to be like him more than anything else in the world. It's authentic, folks. We can't even help it. We, we just so admire Him. We aspire to be like Him. And the spiritual energy that is released turns into powerful motivation. And that leads to emulation. Now, I want to do what He does. I want to think as He thinks. I want to feel as He feels. I want to be just like Him. I'm taking concrete steps to change my life. So there's observation, consideration, admiration, aspiration. I want to be like Him. And then emulation. I'm actually taking steps to be like Him. And that, if it's persevered in, if emulation is persevered in, it brings transformation. I actually start to feel the way Jesus feels. I actually think the way He thinks. I actually do what He does. I am becoming more and more and more like Him. Now, I want to contrast that with what I'm going to call impersonation. Impersonation is not following an example. We have, we know, actors. Actors are, are talented people. Uh, they can do amazing impersonations. For example, I just recently saw a very enjoyable series on the life of John Brown where Ethan Hawke, a tremendous actor, uh, played John Brown. I want to tell you, he brought that character to life. It was remarkable performance. But remember, even though he brought John Brown's persona alive for that series, that movie series or that TV series, he was not sincere. He was not really John Brown or becoming John Brown. He did not feel what John Brown felt. He did not think the way John Brown felt. It, it was just all parroting. It was all mimicking. It was impersonating. The Pharisees are great examples of this. Like I told you, many of them had the entire Old Testament memorized. But they never, they never got a hold of God's mind and His heart and His feelings and His spirit. We can, we can stop short of the Spirit of God even when we go to the Word of God. Now, I'm going to give you a secret. Uh, maybe not much of a secret to many of you, but, but, but here's the thing that you must, we must learn to do. When we go to God's Word, we must ask, of course, what, Lord, what did you mean? We need to have not our imposition on Scripture, but God's revelation to us of what He meant to say. So we have to have an accurate interpretation. But if we stop there, we're on our way to being good Pharisees. Uh-uh. 
we have to then go to what I'm going to call meditation. We, we have to take that truth that we now know and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? And, and, and why, Lord? Well, what was your motive behind this? I, I know it's good, but I'm not seeing it all. Now, show me your glory. Show me your beauty. What was your feeling? What was your thought? What was your plan? What was your purpose? Why do you tell us to do this? What's your motive? Why do you tell us not to do this? What's your motive? Now I'm waiting on God. I may not get the answer right away. I may have to wait a day or two or a week. Sometimes I've waited years before God unpacks certain things to me. But normally He unpacks it pretty clear. But this is now the operation of the Spirit of God taking the Word, and the Word opens the way to God's Spirit, to God's heart. And when I contact with my Spirit, God's Spirit, I'm telling you, this is dynamic. This is where transformation really occurs. It is different than just having the, the letter of the law as it was, the letter of God's Word, the interpretation without the Spirit-given application or insight to the feelings and thoughts and motives of God, it lacks the transformational dynamic. So, so we need to learn to ask not only what are you saying, God, but why are you saying it? What was your heart behind it? And that's where powerful transformation comes in. So there's a big distinction between one that is following the example to be like the example, seeking to have oneness of spirit with God Himself, and one that is just an impersonator. They're just memorizing things, but it's never penetrating our spirits. Okay, here's what I hope. I hope that as we start out this new year, <laughs> each and every one of us has settled it, that Christ is not only the one that we trust in and that we are following fully, and we're following Him freely, and we're going to follow Him forever, but He is our example in everything, in the way that He thinks, in the way that He feels, in the way that He treats situations, in the way that He treats people, in His value system, in His vision, in His morals, in His mission, in His mind. I hope that you will proudly, because we can be proud of our example, you will proudly follow the example of Jesus and you will let You will let a world that desperately needs to know we have a trustworthy example. You will let them know, follow who they will, but you follow Jesus who loved you with a sacrificial love, who died for us all and who rose victorious, not even death could hold him, who promised he's going to prepare a place for us and he's going to come and receive us again to himself. FCF, let's pray. Oh, Father, how thankful. How thankful we are that you have revealed and given yourself fully to us in Jesus. Lord Jesus, and how thankful we are to you that you've left the Holy Spirit to bring you in all your fullness into our minds, into our consciousness, into our very spirits, the core of our being. We, we can know the way you think and know the way you feel. We, we can know your voice tone. We can... We can get glimpses into your eyes and into your heart. Thank you. Thank you, blessed Spirit, that you do this wonderful work of revealing the truth about God in Jesus. May you find in all of us willing and eager followers of this heavenly, holy example. Lord Jesus, in your precious name I pray. Amen.